I've learned over the years that people tend to fall into two different groups. There are givers and takers. And the givers are those people who they're always going to be there. They're going to show up to things. They're going to help clean up. They're going to help set up. They're going to, whatever it is, they're going to be the first to say, I'll be there. And it's, it's not that everyone is giving a, all the extra time they have to, to doing extra things here at Dimdeco. But I, I realized going through that blue ocean that there are people who love Dimdeco, love working here. They're not doing anything that's going to be a detriment to the culture, but they want to come to work. They want to, if they're hourly, clock out, they want to go home and they don't want to think about anything until the next morning. And so I, I gained an appreciation for the people who you would say these are the culture champions and then realize that what a great asset, uh, you know, that other group was and to help them have a great experience at work. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Jonathan Jones. Jonathan is the culture conversation leader at Demdeco, a manufacturer and distributor of home and decorative items, as well as an artist-driven brand, partnering with over 100 artists, expressing themselves through a wide variety of styles and designs. Prior to joining Demdeco in 2006, Jonathan received a bachelor's degree from Calvary University. He also served as a full-time vocational minister in churches in Florida, Kansas, and Missouri. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Jonathan. Jonathan, I'd like to welcome you to the corporate couch today. Well, thanks so much, Jeff, and I'm glad that we are in person. So thank you for making the trip to Dimdeco. No, it's a historic moment for the Corporate <laughs> Couch podcast. So I've never done a face-to-face -face or at the beautiful headquarters of Dimdeco in Leewood, Kansas. So it's, thank you. And it's a beautiful day today. It, it is absolutely a beautiful day. It's about 84, low humidity in Kansas City. It's uh, September 26, I believe. Uh, it is the 26th, yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, historical day, not only face-to-face, -face, but uh, you're our first guest on the podcast, for, uh, born in uh, Guyana. I was born in, in, it's actually pronounced Guyana, born Guyana. in South America. Yes, uh, failed uh, uh, foreign uh, studies. That's, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, my parents went down to Guyana in the 60s to help start a little college. And I was born in there in 1967, shortly after Guyana was British Guiana got their independence from England. And so my parents got to be there to witness kind of a new country being born. 
So we have yeah. lots of great pictures. And if you remember a 35 millimeter slides. Oh yeah, I, I do remember of, that. I have my dad's slides. Nice, that's, that's great, I love that. Yeah, we were introduced, I believe, by Haley Prophet, I believe. And, and Mike and Allison, Mike Allison. The, the, a lot of overlap yeah. with people in coaching and uh, people who are all about culture. So there's a lot of overlap in yes. Kansas City. Yes, and uh, just, uh, well, it will have already been published by the time we air this episode, but you were kind enough to be on my special edition uh, corporate couch that we talk about culture, and Mike was a part of that too. So it's phenomenal to have you here on the regular podcast because well, you've had a great career. I appreciate you asking me. Yeah, so I, I like to start with something fun. I'm going to change it up a little bit and jump on. And like, j just just for the listener, I don't know what your questions are. 100%. So this, this I will, did not. Yes. This will be great. Yeah, I, no, no, uh, no preview of the questions. So uh, I usually ask a different one to kind of lighten it up a little bit, but I'll jump on the uh, every media outlet uh, lately. So Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, uh, last Sunday, Chiefs and Bears at Arrowhead Stadium. Taylor was in Travis Kelsey's suite. Right. Is it a was it a PR stunt or is it true love? I think the answer could be yes, <laughs> but I'm going to go with Bill Belichick's answer. To, did you see Belichick's answer? Yes. Yes. If you didn't see see that, Belichick, coach of the Patriots. Travis Kelsey has made a lot of great catches in his career, but of all the great catches, this is probably his greatest. Yes. And yeah, uh, full reveal, Bill Belichick, the hard-ass coach of the Patriots, um, is a Swifty. So yeah, yeah, there you go. That's incredible. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it's true love. I'm you know a romantic at heart, but we'll you know we'll, we'll time will tell. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's. I, I'd like. I love this chart. Uh, start in childhood. Uh, what was fun for you growing up? What did you love to do? So. Again, I was born in 67, so I'm a child of the... You're so young. Yeah, the, but, but a child of the 70s and 80s where you were outside a lot. So, you know, I like many people my age, your parents uh, showed you the door right after breakfast and said, uh, you can come back in for lunch uh, and then you can come back in for supper. So we played outside a lot. I spent some of my childhood in Memphis southern arkansas and so there were playing in the woods hunting for snakes a lot of fishing things like that uh, i remember uh, us making homemade big wheels uh our our, our go-karts go with, yeah, with no absolutely. engine just two by fours you could find yes i learned how to straighten nails at an early age so a lot of that a lot of bike riding i remember when probably not long after Easy Rider came out that we wanted to convert all our bicycles into choppers. <laughs> so we would go looking for old bicycles that we could cut the forks off the front and extend our forks. Yes. So a lot of great memories growing up, being outside, jumping ramps, uh, a lot of cuts and scrapes and stitches. Jumping ramp, I was gonna say, because Evil Knievel was big in the Absolutely. science. Absolutely. Uh, did you do any ramp jumping? We, we did and how'd that end up? <laughs> we did ramp jumping. It was okay for me. My, I have two older brothers and a younger sister. My older brother, uh, it did not go so well for him one day where the, the ramp broke on his ascent and his knee, unfortunately went into the corner of the cinder blocks that was oh. holding up the ramp. So oh. trip to the emergency room for lots oh. of stitches. 
Yes, I had a similar experience. It was, a, it was a, my next door neighbor, my best friend growing up. Uh, he went first and uh, it did not end well for him. So I never got my turn. To yeah. Jump the fake Snake River Canyon. Exactly. But no, I clearly remember those evil Knievel days. Yes. So growing up, I mean, uh, what was your kind of, hey, when I grow up, I want to be this? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. My next brother up, he and I were closest in age and we did a lot together. And uh, like a lot of kids that age in that era, we played a lot of army pretend. Yeah. Played a lot of Cowboys and Indians. G.I. Joe's. G.I. Joe's. Yeah. A lot of Cowboys and Indians, but we always wanted to be the Indians. And so uh, just probably a lot of books that we had read, being outdoors, hunting, living off the land, at least that, uh, the way those, those stories portrayed that. But a lot of it was, as you get older, you go from Cowboys and Indians to being in the Army to, I think there was a stint where I wanted to be a policeman probably a paramedic, probably affected by the show Emergency or the original SWAT, Right. if you remember that show. Yeah. But then junior high and high school, I had an uncle who was a surgeon and kind of had my eyes set on being a doctor. At least that's what I thought going through high school. So you went to uh, Cavalry University. Yeah, and... it's a small college here in Kansas City. Yeah. But what was your path, and did you decide on a major when you were 18, or what was that uh, yes. progression? So I actually just went a year uh, and got a, like a one-year certificate in theology. I don't know what the exact title of it was. My, my dad had been a pastor, so I'd grown up uh, in, in that. And so I went a year, and then I transferred to KU, uh, Kansas University, for pre-med. And I was going to go the ROTC route, so I met with the commander on base and was accepted. Because you had all that kind of quasi-military experience exactly. in the Army yes. as a child. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen G.I. Joe? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and then I, I pushed pause. Uh, my two older brothers had worked with this organization in Michigan uh, that kind of traveled the country working with different churches and youth. And so I actually uh, had a three-year hiatus between my freshman year in college and my sophomore year in college. And that's a whole other podcast. Okay. Uh, it, it is. There, there's a lot, but I... Uh, not a gap. Not a gap year. There's three, three gap years. But I, I traveled to probably 80% of the lower 48 states in three years and probably about 80,000 miles. Wow. Yeah, so there was a, a lot. There got to see a lot of the country. During that three years, probably uh, got a lot more reflective. Decided not to go the medicine route for a bunch of different reasons. Came back to Kansas City and finished up at Calvary University and got a degree in secondary education. But I've never taught in a school, except for my student teaching. And that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, so your first part of your career, so tell us about yeah. the first job you ever had and how did you get it? The first job, or like first job as an adult? Yeah, after Calvary. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the first job I had was actually working for the college, and I worked in the public affairs department. Uh, and I, I have always been good with people, and so that was a lot of it. You helped with recruiting, you helped produce materials. And so I worked for the school for about a year and a half and then got a call uh, from a church in uh, the Clearwater, uh, Florida area. 
and the pastor of that church, uh, it was a church of, at the time of about 6,000, and they needed someone to work with children uh, as a children's pastor, and he knew that in those three years where I was working with that traveling group that I had worked with children. And so really that, that first job out of school was moving to Florida and, and helping run a children's ministry at a, a large church. And there are some advantages of a large church and there are some disadvantages of a large church. And that's a whole other podcast too. <laughs> so I've lined up three podcasts. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, my goal is to have great guests on multiple times. Yeah. So we, you would fit that category. But, so. but, but a lot of that, because of the size of the church, it was as much working with adults as it really almost more so than the kids. Uh, and that's where I really learned a lot a lot of successes, a lot of failures, learning the hard way, learning what worked, what didn't work, on learning how to work with people, lead groups. I mean, the church is big enough. We, we ran our own, it wasn't official Little League, but we ran our own youth baseball league. Nice. Because there were so many kids. So you, that fell under my responsibility. So you work with coaches. Anytime you have that large of an organization, there's a large volunteer staff. So learning to, and again, you know, you're young, you make mistakes you do a few things right. And so that's just the volunteer staff. Then you have to deal with parents. <laughs> and so there was a, a lot there uh, that was just, I look back and it was a great time. Uh, we lived a mile from the beach. I love the beach. I love the mountains more and missed the four distinct seasons. So an opportunity after about four years came up to move back to Kansas City. And, and we uh, decided to take advantage of that and moved back here. It was closer to my wife's family and my parents at the time lived in Arkansas, so it was, it was closer. By that time, we had three children. Our two oldest boys were born here in Kansas City. Our daughter was born in Florida, and we love Kansas City, and we've been back here since 98. And so in 98, we moved back to Kansas City, and I was working at a church here in Leewood and was there for a couple of years and helped start another church out of that in our area of the city, in the Belton Raymore area. And in, that was in 2001, 2000. And after about five years, I just, there'd been this, I call it an inkling in me that I needed a change. Uh, I, you know, grew up in what I call vocational ministry, where you, you, you do it for a living, or as others have said, you get paid to be good, so to speak. Uh, but I knew I needed to change, and I knew I needed to, even though I hadn't been in corporate business setting, I knew that's what I wanted. And so I met with uh, one of the owners of Dimdeco, and not for a position, just to get some advice career-wise, you know, his input. And we met in the spring of 2006, met five times. About the third time, we kind of started brainstorming what would it look like uh, for me to come on staff. and and. Previous to those five meetings, I had told the church that I was going to be, you know, stepping aside just because I needed to change. And so I started here at Dimdeco in, in 2006 uh, and have been here since. So they just had my 17th year. And I, I started with no job title, no job description, and no plan. And it's, it's been an adventure, and I've loved the last 17 years. Years have been great because I've, I've really helped kind of shape and have been able to speak into who Dim Deco is and, and what Dim Deco's culture looks like. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. So how did you, like you were in this, you know, I'll say the church space for mm -hmm. 12 years, the first 12 years mm -hmm. of your career. So what was going on internally and your thought processes? Was there a specific moment or incident or something that of, said, of I, I, I want to go, I'm gonna, I think corporate yeah. America is where I need to be. Yeah, it's, it's a combination of things. I mean, one, and I'm re I, I can look back in retrospect and go, oh, that's what was going on. And I, I love assessments. Uh, you know, at Demdeco, we use, we use Culture Index, we use Gallup Clifton Strengths, which I'm a certified coach. And I can look back and go, oh, this is exactly what was going on. And, but at the time, I just realized, you know, the church that we helped start had gotten, it wasn't a large church. It wasn't by no means thousands at all, like it was in Florida, but it's still a, a pretty small organization. But any organization reaches a point where it takes structure and a different type of leadership skill to keep the organization moving forward. And what I can look back and go, what I'm really good at is that initial building those relationships, being out in the community, uh, developing connections. What I'm not good at is the administration that it takes to keep an organization moving, if that makes sense, just huh. the details of it, the processes. I'm a solution person, not a process person. And every organization at some point needs processes. Right. And I realized that I just wasn't good at that. And the way I described it is I knew I kept, I don't know if I would say failing, I, I kept skinning my knee because you would miss things, you would forget to communicate something, whatever it was. And I, I knew that it was happening for the same reason, but I didn't exactly know what it was. Right. And so I just knew that, that I needed something that best fit my strengths and I can, you know, because of, you know, exploring what my own strengths are, weaknesses, how I'm wired, I can now clearly identify if you need someone to go meet people and make connections and do all that, I'm your guy. Right. I mean, you and I met at the coffee shop and we had a vague reference of what each other looked like off LinkedIn, <laughs> but we immediately within seconds had a connection. Yep. But the, the, the maintaining of the organization, I knew that I just needed to change. So you come out of 12 years mm -hmm. in the secular space. Yeah. Um, what, what was the biggest surprise moving to you know, a corporate job at Demdeco? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that we, and we never said this uh, overtly, but, but I was never intended and, and definitely was never called the chaplain because that's a whole different thing. And, you know, my role was just to help give shape to Demdeco's purpose, mission, vision, give language to it. I think the, not surprise, but the big realization was companies that are intentional about building their culture and it matters to people, they still have this, you know, you know, 95% of their time and attention is operational. They've got to get this done, whatever this is. And we manufactured gifts and home decor, so we make physical things. So that involves samples and manufacturers and, you know, finance. And so I realized very quickly, while the vast majority of colleagues at Demdeco wanted to have a healthy culture and wanted to contribute to that, they had a lot of work that needed to get done. And so I had to learn how to 
sort of find the rhythms and the dance of people's schedules and time and mental bandwidth and all of that in order to to have some meaningful conversations about what a healthy company looks like. And so, you know, when you're at a church, you just schedule a meeting and people come. And and if they don't show up, they don't show up. And that, but But in a company, you're competing with a lot of very real priorities. And so you, you have to realize that if someone doesn't come to your discussion or meeting or whatever it is, it's not that they don't think it's important. It's that they had something pressing that they need. And, you know, it's, it's still that way today. Sure. It's just when you, it, you know, it was, uh, it took some, some adjusting. So what was the, your kind of first major project that you worked on coming into Demdeco in 2006 or yeah, seven? Six. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it actually was assisting. We, you know, Demdeco was initially founded in 1997. Most people are familiar with Demdeco because of our line Willow Tree, which is a, a licensed, the vast majority of our products are with license agreements with, with artists. We do have internal artists who are amazing, but Externally, we have, it's probably around 35 different artists that we work with, and the Willow Tree artist, uh, Susan Lordy, lives here in Kansas City, and there's just a great relationship and partnership with Sue uh, and Willow Tree, and so that's how most people know about Demdeco. And in the early 2000s, when Willow Tree was launched, that's really what built Demdeco, so, sort of, and it continues to be our economic engine, although we've, we've really done a good job of uh, developing other great products in support. So what happened, and this is really in one of the initial conversations about me joining, was when you are experiencing pretty significant growth, all your time and energy is spent on keeping everything on the rails. But I mean, there are stories where our systems were so bad, we were double and triple shipping customers. But Willow Tree was selling so well that we'd call and say, hey, we triple shipped you. And they would be like, it's okay, we can sell it. You know, and, and did that happen every time? No, but it did happen a lot. So one of our owners, Dave, who I was working with in the beginning directly, he knew and had the foresight that if you didn't start putting some language around who you wanted to be, even if it was aspirational, that if you ignored that, pretty soon the systems that was keeping everything afloat would take over and you wouldn't have time even. And so my first big project when I started, there was this, this was already in place before I started, was, was to assist a company-wide sort of like mini seminar on what really matters. Uh, there was a book that was written a while back called Blue Ocean Strategy. I, I, again, I came alongside this, taking the picture of what Blue Ocean Strategy was written about, where you know companies that make a difference are able to lift themselves out of the present business circumstances and place themselves in a completely different ocean. And so, you know, Demdeco, we're not unique in the type of culture that we have. Uh, we're you know, we state that we believe business is first and foremost a human endeavor, not simply a financial endeavor. The second you say that, you set yourself up for legitimate critique because you don't get it right every day. And so we took everyone through the company and, and, 
uh, it was a great learning experience. But for me, I think one of the things I took away from that was there are different groups of people. There are people who are going to be kind of your culture champions, and they don't need any encouragement. They're, they're going to be there. I kind of have this other, this is another podcast, but I've learned over the years that people tend to fall into two different groups. There are givers and takers. And, and the givers are those people who they're always going to be there. They're going to show up to things. They're going to help clean up. They're going to help set up. They're going to, whatever it is, they're going to be the first to say, I'll be there. And it's, it's, it's not that everyone is giving a, you know, all the extra time they have to, to doing extra things here at Dimdeco. But I, I realized going through that blue ocean that there are people who love Dimdeco, love working here, they're not doing anything that's going to uh, be a detriment to the culture, but they want to come to work. They want to, if they're hourly, clock out, they want to go home, and they don't want to think about anything until the next morning. And so I, I gained an appreciation for the people who you would say these are the culture champions, uh, and then realized that what a great asset uh, you know, that other group was uh, and to help them have a great experience at work. And, and then there's kind of a third group that is disengaged. And that's always a challenge too, because you, you know it would be better for them if they could find another place. And so that pre presents its unique challenges where how, how do you work alongside people that for all the efforts of the company, a manager, their peers, they're just gonna remain disengaged. And so Dimdeco over the years, I think has handled most of those situations right. Some we may have been able to do a, a bit better, but so again, your original question is what was the first project? It was really taking everyone through that. And then I just began to build what I did kind of off that model and begin to have discussions, conversations, lunch and learns, uh, familiar with the author Dan Pink. So when, when Dan Pink wrote Drive, Twitter had just come out. And so I commented on Twitter that we were going to have a discussion about Drive. The next week, Dan Pink replied. Wow. And so then he joined us through, I don't even know what the service was. It wasn't Definitely wasn't Zoom. Right. It was early video conferencing. Right. Really before there was even, he joined us. Wow. He used to work out of his garage. He had a desk in his garage. And so Dan Pink, we had lunch and learn with Dan Pink talking about driving. It was a lot of those things. Uh, Simon Sinek had released uh, Start With Why, TED Talks. And so there was a lot of amazing content that I just began to make available. And again, leaning on what my strengths are as far as developing relationships, just began to build relationships across the departments over the years. And so as Dimdeco's changed, I've changed to different things, you know, to now where a lot of what I do is through Gallup Clifton Strengths, helping colleagues with that and directors and managers find out what their strengths are, the strengths of the team. I often at the wholesale shows function as the I say I'm the company concierge, <laughs> uh, greeting customers. So it's it's different every day. But uh, if I were to describe really at the core of what I do right now, it's it's deeply relational and helping people find purpose and meaning in their work. That's phenomenal. And I want to talk more about that. But I, 
So again, just go back to your early years here. Did you lean on any mentors, whether that's people, books? Uh, what was your learning process? Yeah, well, I'm an avid reader. Uh, that's one, uh, you know, I, I reported directly to Dave, one of our owners uh, at the time. And so, you know, he was a big influence. There's another gentleman named Mike, who lives in Maryland, who had a big influence, spent time with him. Uh, and, you know, I there's a, another man for a period of time. I look back, a mentor of men named Clyde. Clyde's in his 70s now. And I often, and I, you know, people, I'm like the first person to say this, but uh, you often have mentors that you'll never meet. And that could be authors, videos. And so I, I'm always looking uh, for ways to learn. So those those three, and then just anything I can get my hands on to learn on on what what gets people down to what matters. I think one of one of my least favorite phrases uh, is at the end of the day, because the vast majority of the time you hear it, especially in the context of a conversation about culture, it's like Jeff. All this culture stuff is great. But at the end of the day, if we're not hitting our numbers, it doesn't matter. Now, the reality is you have to hit your numbers. We just want to be the type of company that works hard at it being a human endeavor, and you can still hit those numbers. And when you don't hit those numbers, because you've developed a healthy culture, you can have those hard conversations. There's a difference between a hard conversation and a harsh conversation. Harsh is meant to harm. Hard communicates what a person needs to hear. And sometimes it can sting a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I really love that distinction. But I also have to say, you know, culture starts from the top, right? Yeah. So I don't know if this is your true title here, but on your LinkedIn, the cultural conversation leader of Demdeco. Yeah, cultural conversation leader is my official title. Yeah. So so I was about I was about two weeks in when I first started, and Dave said, "Okay, I think I have a good title for you." Now. 2006, keep in mind that you, you had official titles that were Sales Ninja and <laughs> all of those. Right. So I, I think mine has aged well. Sales Ninja, I don't think, has aged very well. Right. Yeah, you do not hear that one anymore. Right. No, you do not. <laughs> and, and the other thing was, you know, when I started, anything, not anything, most things that you read or heard about culture typically were about amenities and perks. And typically, if you read about it, it was a startup in Silicon Valley. Yeah, it was a dot-com yeah. era. Yeah, I, and, and yeah. so it was, and people have heard me say this before, so I'm repeating, but I, I like to joke, it was, it was companies that, you know, did you have an on-site chef? Did you have a room with hammocks? Did you have a room with llamas that you could pet? And if, <laughs> if you were really fancy, they were alpacas. <laughs> and so I, I can remember those early conversations so before the dot-com bust and the housing crisis, I remember conversations with Dave. It's like, you know, and Jim Dicko's mission is to strive to lift the spirit. And I, we were talking just across the other side of this wall uh, that lift the spirit's real easy when, when sales are good. And it'd be interesting to see how it is when you're tested. And now 17 years later, we've, we've had our times of testing. And so my title, cultural conversation leader, uh, it's kind of ebbed and flowed. There was a period where I'm like, man, I think I need a different title, uh, not sales ninja, not culture ninja, but uh, it's, we've kept 
the same title, and now all these years later, I'm glad I never changed it. Because I think the word business, in a, the word culture in a business context has matured to the point where people realize it's not about those alpacas. And it really, no pun intended, it really has started a lot of conversations and piqued people's interest. Like, tell me what, what that means. And one of the things, and I'm going to be on a gift industry conferences this year, and I'm joining a, I'm on a panel, and I'm joining by Zoom to talk about culture. And one of the things I realized early on is that Culture is much more about how people communicate and cooperate and collaborate and build trust and support, respond to emails quickly or Slack messages or text messages or Teams messages, do everything that they can to help their colleagues, colleagues succeed. That's what a healthy culture looks like. If you have great amenities and perks, those are extra. And so the nature of my title has lended it to those, lent itself to those types of conversations, if you will, about what really matters. Uh, because you and I could be in a food truck line for Joe's KC or Jack Stack, and if I'm making your work life miserable, it's not gonna be a very good meal. Right. I, I'm curious, so I, you know, I, you know, I'm a big believer in culture, and I, I'm just amazed that companies don't pay attention to it. So I think one of the hardest things about culture is when you're small, so when, when you joined in 2006, I don't know how many employees Demdeco had, but I'm gonna say it's probably a lot smaller then than it is now. I think it's hard to keep the culture as you get bigger. So what was your process around it, that? It, it absolutely is. Uh, and so here's my response to your first comment that Every company, every organization is building a culture, uh, whether they realize it or not. It's the ones that are being intentional that have a chance at growing something healthy. But those companies that ignore it, they're still building a culture. And that's my analogy of the, your lawn. And I got my grass seed down. Did you get your grass seed down in the last couple no, of weeks? No, but my wife's going to kill me because I have not. Okay. <laughs> so a company culture is a lot like your lawn. You can choose to ignore it. It'll do something all by itself. And the companies that say this doesn't matter or they're oblivious to it or they're at the end of the day or they're the bottom line only matters, they're going to have an overgrown weed field lawn eventually. And so we're intentional. We fail every day in some way, but there's, there's no question when it's small, it's easier. You know, I, you know, in the years before I started, so I started nine years in, you know, the stories that you know, early on, the entire company could go to lunch at one restaurant and sit around a table. Right. You know, the and, first company Christmas party. Yeah, the first company <laughs> Christmas party. And one of the challenges is as you grow, I, I realize over there is there's a big difference between remembering and reminiscing. Reminiscing is not healthy. And because it's this longing for the good old days, and the good old days were better, they think anyway. Remembering is still a look back, but remembering is what have we learned? You know, the way we did this, that was good. Let's keep doing it. Oh, the way we did this, not so good. Let's, and so what I learned over the years, there, there were people who, and Jim Daco uh, has had, uh, has, I think, historically high retention uh, compared to a lot of other companies. Uh, but every now and then there are people who start reminiscing. 
and oh, I wish we remember when we would do this. And and there could just be present realities that don't, you know, you can't take a hundred people to the same restaurant. Or I can remember early on when we would have company events. So this was before the housing crisis. You'd have company events and bring your family. Well, the the budget could handle that, you know. And and then you go, well, we're gonna have a company event, but it's just gonna be for colleagues. Oh, I remember. Man, I remember when we could bring our families. I go, yeah, that was great. I remember that too. But let's not reminisce about it. And so practically, there's some things, you know, the, the bigger you get, and you have children, correct? Yes. How many kids do you have? Four. Okay. Was it easy managing your children when you had no children? Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Got a little bit more difficult when you had one. And we have four too as well. And so, you know, you have that second child and things get crazy. And then you have that third child and there doesn't need, it doesn't really seem that big of a bump. Then you have that fourth child and you're like, oh, that's, but think, think about, uh, especially when your kids entered junior high and middle school and they started getting involved in a lot of activities, there's a lot to manage. Uh, if you don't have a family calendar, that can blow up fast. Did you ever forget to communicate some, a deadline to your wife about it? Oh, that's hard to believe, but yes, I have. <laughs> exactly. So, in a, you know, and I'm not saying anything people don't already know, but in any company, you're going to, the bigger it gets, the potential for miscommunications, misunderstandings, misdeadlines, it grows exponentially. So you have to be even that much more intentional. And a lot of that just comes through practical ways of communicating better. We survey, we're in the process right now, I'm work, working with each department reviewing, we use Gallup's Q12 employee engagement survey. I had uh, four meetings today with different departments just kind of going through their uh, reports and it's very clear, this department needs to work on this, this department needs to work on that. And so I think as you grow without any type of tool, uh, good leadership at the, at the the top of the organization, good, you know, directors and managers communicating and collaborating, it'll spin out of control quickly. So there's no question the the more you grow numerically, it just becomes that much more harder in the same way that, you know, when you all of a sudden realize that you had four kids, there's a lot to manage. So a lot of this in terms of the growth is the hiring practice, right? So mm -hmm. it's so critical to hire great people that yeah. kind of fit and add to the, your culture. Yeah. And a lot of times your position is in the HR realm, a lot of times. Yeah. How does that work here at Demdeco in terms of who you hire and how that, what that process is? Yeah, I, I've kind of traveled through different departments. I, I started out from a GL code budget standpoint in the executive department, but was not on the executive team and haven't been, but I've been in HR twice. I've been in marketing for a while, and now I'm back in the, the executive group just from a flowchart standpoint. But I am involved in the hiring. And you know, like a lot of organizations, you grow and mature in how you hire. Obviously, you have to hire for skill. You know, I, I, I think like a lot of companies, Demdeco, you know, about eight years ago, you started hearing the term culture fit. And then you realize that's really not, and I noticed you said add, which is a great, uh, we pivoted on that and, and wanted to take a perspective on what, what does this person bring. And so with a few exceptions, I meet with everyone who applies to Demdeco. You know, we have a, a 
Salesforce uh, sales team across the country in three regions. So those are obviously virtual. And my part in that is, you know, I, I'm not assessing for skill. That's the hiring manager's point. But I just, two things. One, I want to kind of, and I'm very conversational in these, but I, I just want them to, one, clearly understand that we're really serious about the type of culture that we want to have. And it goes beyond the bottom line. So about four years ago, there was someone who was sitting in the exact chair you're sitting in right now. And I was sitting in the chair across the table. And this person started the interview with, and you would think people would get on your website, started the interview with, you know, all that fluffy purpose mission stuff. He goes, I don't, I don't care about that stuff at all. All I'm interested in is the bottom line. What are the numbers at the end of the day? And I thought to myself, I, what I should have done is ended the interview right then. But I let it go on for 30 minutes. <laughs> but so, so part of that is, no, we're serious about this stuff. It isn't just words on a website. So it's that. And then I want to know what would this person bring, you know, and help us widen our perspective. Are there, there are things we need to grow in uh, and just see it that way? I also ask every person who interviews, I want to know what, what they're currently reading or listening to. And, and there, have I shown you this? The reason I do this is because on my phone, I'm, I'm a notes app. I have a running list of books uh, or podcasts that people recommend. But I also want to know, is the person a learner? And do they, and if someone says, yeah, I don't ever read or listen to anything, that's a red flag for me because that tells me you're not a learner. And so what I do with the hiring managers, I'll circle back to them. And uh, the vast majority of the time, I say for my part in the interview, I would recommend an offer just based on feedback, their interaction. They really did due diligence on understanding the company. They asked great questions, wanted to know more about this. I also asked, was there anything on the website that made you go, yeah, that's really easy to put on a website and make it look nice and pretty. But give me, and I tell people, I don't begrudge anyone any cynicism because I think that's an important question to ask. Uh, there've been a few occasions where I go, yeah, I, I would not recommend an offer at all. Right. I think we need to just end things right here. Yeah, I think when we first met and had coffee, I asked uh, I asked Mike Allison on his podcast of those same Which questions. was a great episode, uh, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, your, your part, not mine. No, I'm oh. kidding. Mike's a good friend. Mike's a good friend. <laughs> no, Mike's good. We, uh, first time Jonathan and I met, we uh, took a, a selfie and sent it to Mike. So he knew we had met. Yeah. Um, but you said if you only had one interview question to kind of... You want to get yeah. one, yeah. you ask, what, what are you currently? Yeah, I, I think that's, I love that question. I, I think it's so important. Now, I, I'm a reader and I always have been. I remember in elementary, they had a limit on how many books you could check out at the library. And I would appeal and get more and I'd read them all. And some people are natural learners and they love it. But I think if, it's, if you're not a natural learner, you need to work at it and be a little bit more disciplined because there's... There's no role in life that doesn't require you to be a learner. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, we're, we're very similar. I think it was third grade, Mr. Anderson at McKinley School, where I grew up in uh, Peekskill, New York. Uh, we had to see how many books you can read, and it, you, know, you had to put them on the, yeah. you know, around the room. My and, teacher was, was yeah. Mrs. Atwater, so, yeah. yeah. So I read, the, you know, and I loved the biographies. Yeah. And they had those youth biographies. Yeah. I read about, you know, all these great people, yeah. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses, S. Yeah. you know, this, uh, yeah, quick, yeah. quick 
tangent. So Dimdeco has, we started a podcast this year called Lift the Spirit, and we just had Dr. Nicole Price here, and she sat in the chair last week that you're sitting in here, and she was here to talk about empathy in her, her new book, uh, Spark the Heart. One of the things that she says helps develop empathy greatly is reading fiction, because what it does is it helps your imagination understand the kind of the facts of fiction when you can hear it in stories that's what helps grow that empathy muscle so again dr price definitely advocating reader and you have to be a learner yeah no uh dr price is phenomenal uh she uh, does some work for a former company that mm -hmm. i represented yeah. uh so yeah she's she's a great spirit so i think one of the things to a great culture is you invest in people so what is your you know, kind of talent development uh learning and development uh, methodology strategy for your yeah. team members. You know, I, I, we've had great successes. We've had some things where we go, we need to do that better. This this year, we actually launched our first true LMS system. So a, a lot of it that we've done have, have focused on two things, and one, it's a part of our strategy is on well-being and storytelling. And on the well-being, we borrow Gallup's, their book, Well-Being at Work, and they've written a lot on well-being, that there are five areas of personal well-being. There's career well-being, and they simplify it as, uh, do you enjoy what you do for work? Physical well-being, which they include physical and mental health in that. Financial well-being, can you manage your finances? Social well-being, do you have meaningful relationships? And community well-being, do you like where you... And when those five things are healthy, People experience overall better well-being. So what we've done this last year, I, I think this last year we've done the the best job that we've had on as, as a company. Now individual departments may have specific learning, training, go to this seminar, do this, uh, but we've focused everything tied to one of those those areas of well-being. So we've had things on mental health, had things on suicide awareness. Uh, we've had things on, on financial well-being that's basically, uh, we've done this program through Commerce, our bank, called My Milestones, where it's, it's personal finance, how to set up a, a family budget. You can read the different statistics, but 70% uh, of U.S. citizens live paycheck to paycheck and cannot handle a four to $500 cash emergency. Well, if you just use those numbers, the same numbers apply to Dimdeco, Hallmark, Cerner, T-Mobile, whatever it is. Uh, now that it may be skewed, but the bottom line is there's a large number of people that aren't managing their personal finances well. So we want to offer that. So here's how these overlap. Social well-being. Let's say you have good friends and those friends have a higher household income than you do. And I think we've all been in the situation before. If you're not managing your finances well and your good friends ask you to go out to the Capitol Grill, there's the pressure to go out to the Capitol Grill. You can't afford to go out to the Capitol Grill because you're living paycheck to paycheck. You put it on a credit card. Now, I'm not a, saying I'm anti-credit card. I'm just saying there's so many ways these overlap. So what we've tried to do is be really intentional this year on building our learning and development around uh, those five areas of well-being. And so we've partnered with our he, uh, we use T. Rowe Price for our 401k and partner them, partner with some local therapists to do some discussions on meaningful relationships. And so 
again, to have a healthy culture, you have to be intentional. We want to be intentional about the things that we're offering there as well. Yeah, I think that I'm in who Haley Prophet obviously is uh, she talks well-being versus wellness all the time and uh, I love what she's going to be doing or is doing as this yeah. fractional chief wellness officer yeah. I think is a yeah. beautiful concept that I I, I do yeah. too I yeah. do too you know but I look at some of the other companies who it, just kind of the nature of their work and who just have amazing I would say like leadership tracks any type of leadership training is good and we have different things that we've offered but where that works best is in companies where there's a lot of upward mobility just by the nature of the, the company. And, and that just hasn't been the case at Vivdeco and just the nature of our industry, it just doesn't allow for that. But I, I look at uh, you know, some of the other companies, uh, you know, like what we've talked about Mike Allison, what he's done at Cerner and Spotlight and just the, I, I think there's some great companies that are doing a great job. Yeah, I've never seen a Demdeco uh, org chart, but I'm going to guess it's a relatively flat structure. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, people in leadership positions. Uh, you know, we use Microsoft Teams, and, and I'm involved. I kind of meander and float through the company and work. So I have a Teams chat called People Who Lead People, and it's everyone from our CEO down to the person who has one direct report. And so I put a lot of content in that Teams chat, and... Again, it's not, I wouldn't say we're, like if someone says we're a completely flat organization, we're not that, but you know, you have the situation where there's tends to be more longevity here, uh, and it's just, there's just not the type of structure where someone wants to come in for a year and a half and work their way up, and then another year and a half work their way up. It's just, we just have never been that, that company. Yeah, a great book uh, you might want to put on your list is uh, Promotions are so yesterday by uh, Julie Winkle Giglioni. I'm adding that. Who I met again through my IMS uh, partnership uh, recently. It's you know how to kind of motivate without having them go to the next you right. know, rung right. on the org chart. Yeah, so. Jonathan, I love it. Uh, you know, you talk about a lot of different assessments, and obviously, you uh, one of them that you're using. You said you're using culture index, and mm -hmm. that's probably for the hiring process. It, it, it is a hiring tool. Yeah. And uh, but what talk about Gallup, Clifton Strengths, and why you're so uh, I'll say in love with it. Yeah. So you're passionate about it for sure. What love is you could say love. <laughs> well, first of all, I love assessments, and I've I found that people either tend to like them or hate them. And one of the reasons I'll say dislike for the people that fall in the dislike group is they don't like being categorized. And no assessment's 100%. A lot of people have taken Myers-Briggs. Uh, if you study the history of Myers-Briggs and you don't know about the origins of Myers-Briggs, you might be surprised at how it started, but it didn't start out in the way most people use it. And it's not validated in any type of behavioral science or psychology. And so I tend to put more stock in the assessments that are validated. Uh, the reason I love Gallup Clifton Strengths, and it, it, they just rebranded about four years ago into to, from Strength Finders to Clifton Strengths, and that was just to honor Don Clifton who developed it. I like it because it does not categorize you. It also says this is a snapshot in time. Most assessments, and even Culture Index says these traits were formed in you around 14, 15 years old, and, and don't change. Uh, and I, I think they're uh, they say it's 80 percent which is high. 
and I, I will say that uh, when we take someone and have them take culture index uh, and I take them through their report, it's pretty accurate. And just as, and, and it just measures kind of, if you were to watch someone work, just kind of the different behaviors of how, are they assertive, are they not assertive? Does being around people take energy from them? Does it give them energy? So it's accurate, but it does categorize you. There's 19 different profiles. Uh, with Clifton Strengths, uh, 34 different strengths. They, they actually, they call them talents. And they, they say that a talent is something, I'm, I'm summarizing the definition, uh, that can be leveraged to accomplish something. So their stack rank from one to 34 on how strong they show up in you at that time. And there tends to not be wide swings. Like if you took something and let's say uh, learner is one of the things they learn for. If you take it one time in learners at 34, there's probably, even though you maybe start grad school or whatever, and retake it 10 years later, it's probably never gonna jump to your top 10. It may move up. But the reason I, I am all in love with gung-ho, whatever you wanna say about, <laughs> about Clifton Strengths, is because it reveals to people what they know about themselves that they might not have language for. It's been around since the early 90s. There's now 34 million people that have taken it around the world. I also like it that it's not a unique American Western thing. Uh, it's used all over the world, uh, and it it's just it's universal. And when I take people, uh, we don't use it as a hiring tool. When someone has been at Nindeco at least for a couple of weeks, I'll have them take it, and then I'll take them through a one-hour review. And I haven't had one review that someone goes, "This is absolutely not me." And, and I love doing them. It's one of my top favorite things to do is to take someone through their Cliff and Strengths review. Uh, because again, there's, it's like there's just so many moments where they go, oh, that's why. And I've done, I think, close to 270 now reviews. I've learned more about myself. And you know, my top strengths, I can identify them when, when they show up. And when you can identify them, Gallup just now has, you know, almost 30 years of data that shows when people, one, learn their strengths and learn how to use them. I mean, they're more productive, they're more engaged, uh, and it's just an, a, an amazing tool. And, and then a, a big part of my work here is once a whole team has taken it, there's a tool uh, that you can show what the strengths of the team is. And so... You can tell who are the effective communicators. Well, don't ask the person who doesn't, isn't an effective communicator to lead the presentation. Find the person who just loves doing that. And then find the other person who's really good at putting content together to come alongside them to help with the content. Have the content person put together great content. Have the great communicator be the person. And the other thing has been consistent when I meet with the teams and when they start seeing what the other team member's strengths are, they go, oh, that's why I always go to you for this, or that's why I go to you for this. And it's like, there's things that we know about each other, we just may not have language for it. And Gallup, Clifton Strengths just helps name. Yeah, and what I love what you do is, I've done this at two different companies, and yeah, it's great to know what you are, and you can read the, you know, the report, and it's great, but it's how do you implement it amongst the team, and how do you get better as a team, and yeah. working with each other, 
So that's what I love that you do here. Like you're working with people and their teams to say, okay, this is what this means. And I'd never had that at yeah. any company before in the two I did previously. Yeah, we have, you know, colleagues uh, and, you know, managers and leaders who embrace it at different levels. And it kind of goes back to what you asked me, it was like when I first started and you realize as excited I am as about this, everyone's not going to necessarily have the same level right. of excitement. <laughs> And that doesn't necessarily mean anything, yeah. but I will say the the leaders. This is where I post a lot of this in that people who lead people group. The leaders have, who have embraced it for themselves and embraced it for their teams, it shows up in their employee engagement report. Right. And again, they're two separate tools from Gallup, but they uh, collaborate really well. You know, one of the questions in the Gallup Q12 engagement survey is. I'm able to use my strengths in my work, or I'm able to do what I do best in my work. Right. And so I tell when I go through the reports, I said, this is the one that most closely correlates with your Clifton strengths. Because depending on what your role and responsibility is, there's a skill to it. Can you, do you know how to use Excel? Do you know how to use Photoshop? Do you, can you generate this report? So there's a skill to it, but there's a, there's a level to it where if you're able to like one of the strengths is analytical. And these are people who love getting into the weeds and they can spot discrepancies really fast. Analytical is really low for me. Don't ask me to double check your <laughs> spreadsheet because it's like drinking sand. I, it's, it's not enjoyable at all. And I have these conversations with people and so the people that have high analytical, you ask them to double check your spreadsheet, they're like all over it. And they can do it. Here's the other thing that I like about Clifton Strengths. When you ask someone to use one of their top strengths to get something done or to help you with something, they typically will have the emotional bandwidth to do it that can overcome time constraints. If, if you ask me to double check your spreadsheet, you can give me two weeks and guess what? I'm gonna hate <laughs> right. every minute of it. Right. Uh, you ask me to, hey, look at this video and tell me what you think about it. Or can you listen to this TED talk and give me, I'm all over that. Right. Uh, you ask someone who's a high analytical person to double check your spreadsheet, they may go 45 minutes. Yeah, I can get it done. And they can do it. Right. Because they have, yeah. because it's something. Yeah, they can do it faster at. too. They, they yeah. can do it faster. Yeah. And so they have the emotional bandwidth that yeah. can often overcome those time constraints. Yeah. And they want to use their strength they to help use somebody. Their, they want to use their strengths. Yeah. And when, when in Gallup, it has lots of data on this. And if you're reading anything about the state of work right now is the importance of appropriate recognition for good work and meaningful feedback and, and Gallup, and this is one of the things I've been working with our leadership team, is when you can recognize someone on your team uh, for, for good work, like you got this done, thanks for getting this done, and you can tie it back to one of their strengths without being obvious, it's like double dipping. So I'll give you an example. So. I had someone who was helping me organize something. And one of the strengths that in Clifton Strengths is a ranger. And a ranger, the way I describe a ranger, is a ranger's, if you're old enough to remember I Love Lucy, a, a <laughs> ranger's could have done much better than Lucy and Ethel on the chocolate factory conveyor belt. Because a ranger's can see what's coming and they can know how to put everything in its place. And they can keep up with that. And they love doing it. My wife has higher ranger. So this person has higher ranger, okay? So the tasks they had involved a lot of organizing of an event, and there was a lot of moving parts, last minute changes. So when the event was over, I sent an email 
to the people on the team that were leading it, copied their manager and the executive team member that their manager reports to and our CEO. And I said, thank you so much for taking this on, especially the way you arranged all of the challenges and changes that were made. I didn't use the word arranger. I used arrange. But what I did is I made sort of a conscious appeal to that strength. So once she was recognized for good work and it called out one of her strengths. And so to me, that's a double dip on appropriate recognition. Yeah, I love that. Um, Jonathan, there's just two groups I'd love to help in the podcast with uh, great leadership advice. One is a recent college graduate mm-hmm. as they're going to navigate their first professional job out of college. Yep. What advice do you give them to get a great job and start their career? Uh, respond to emails. Because <laughs> <laughs> like it or not, business still runs on email. And do not use your... Uh, university or college email address. Yeah, and if your email was hot dude 35, <laughs> you need to create a, use Gmail, create a uh, recognizable, uh, appropriate email. Uh, but joking aside, one, uh, get help with your resume. And the other thing, and, and we had seven interns this summer, and I've met with a couple other students to take them through that. I, I recommend taking Clifton Strengths, and I'm available to help with that. If people want, I can do that on the side. Uh, Dimdeco gives me the freedom to do that. And one of the things that I recommend doing, and I do this in my email signature, but I recommend that students or people who are entering the job market put their top five strengths conspicuously on their resume for two reasons. One is... Clifton Strength, Strength Finders has been around long enough that people know about this top five thing, okay? And so if they're in an interview and it's someone who is at least a tiny bit familiar with it, they go, oh, are these your top five? Now you have to learn your top five, okay? So you're not able to lie about your top five because the way the assessment's set up, you just can't game it. You, you just can't. And because you, you, will, you will get... If, if someone is taking an assessment for me and they're just picking answers, it will come back invalid. So it's gonna be valid. So when you're talking about your top five, and I say create a story that you can describe how these strengths showed up. Now you may not actually use the word strategic or use the word arranger or use the word learner, but describe those strengths in your answer. They go, oh, are these your top five? So that gives you an opportunity to talk about your strengths. And if they hire you, those strengths are going to show up because it's an accurate assessment. Let's say you're interviewing with someone and they have no clue about Clifton strengths and, and they go, what are these five words? That is the exact same opportunity that you have to tell the exact same stories about your strengths. And people who lie on their resume or lie about something, they get found out eventually because at some point they're going to be in a situation where someone's going to go, oh, you know how to do this because you told us this, or you, and they'll get exposed. Uh, your top five uh, and your Clifton strengths, if you take all 34, you don't have to embellish those. Those truly are you. So that's the one thing I recommend. And I, I got, uh, actually, just two months ago, we have a, a colleague here uh, in supply chain, and I met, uh, she has a son... A daughter's in high school and a son who's in college. And so I had them do that. 
And he emailed me the next day that he was, that exact same thing happened. And he was able to talk about yeah. his strengths. And it's not them going, well, let me tell you about myself. It's a, they're, they're, it's a response to a question. They go, oh, these are the Gallup, my, my top five, and here's how these show up for me. So that's, that's one thing that I do. And then the other thing is you need to, if you're not a natural networker, find someone who is and be their co-pilot because you've got to learn how to network. Yeah, 100%. I will say it's, uh, I've done some uh, consulting or helping Reason College graduates navigate mm -hmm. the job search. And I would say 100% of the time they get interviewed, they're going to get this question. Tell me about your strengths. Yeah. It's because yeah. they have no other because they have no professional yeah. background. Right. So I yeah. think it's I mean, and you have a you got your top five. You yeah. Just talk, and and talk again, there's, there's all the jokes and memes like, you know, my my biggest strength is I'm a hard worker. I'm a professionalist. And, and my yeah. my biggest weakness is I'm such a hard worker. <laughs> and and, you know, when it comes to weaknesses, Gallup doesn't. The only time they use the word weakness is when you allow strength to become unhealthy. Right. Like take communication. I have communication number seven. I know that at some point I'm talking too much. And there'll be times where I, I, I've learned to interpret my wife's tap under a table on my ankle that I've talked too much. And so I know that that's a strength because typically at a moment's notice, if someone I can begin you know, talking, especially if it's something that I'm well-versed in or that, but you know, we all know those people that, and I'm one of them, at some point you go, oh, no one's really interested in what I'm saying. Right. Especially people that have turned this podcast off 15 minutes ago. <laughs> well, the last group I like to help is now you've become a leader or at least, you know, you have in the York chart, you have people that report to you. Mm -hmm. As these people start their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, one is be a listener. And I know Mike Allison mentioned this, that servant leadership is not just a cotton candy fluffy thing that people watch. In my ed psych class years ago, I remember the professor said, and he was quoting someone else, that more is caught than taught, and people watch. And so it's the little things. If you're a leader and there's a company lunch, be the first to help take out trash. Uh, so, so be a servant leader. The other thing, and this is another Clifton Strengths plug, is there's another report that you can get called Clifton Strengths for Leaders. And what it does is it just focuses on your top 10 but it will show this is how you need to lean into your top strengths to be a leader. And if you have someone who reports to you and has this strength, this is how you need to lead them. Because let's say you have someone who has strategic as one of their top strengths. And the strategic is the ability to see what's coming and make adjustments. Well, if you have a direct report that also has strategic, there may be times where you have competing views on what the next step should be. But uh, what a leader would do would go, here's what I see, tell me what you see. Is there anything wrong with, what, what do you see about the steps that I think we need to take? What are you seeing that's different? Because if that person has strategic in their top 10, they're gonna have a very clear view of what the next step should be. So I don't use the word behoove much, but it would behoove you to ask them, what do you see? And they may see something that you haven't seen clearly at all, and it may be what needs to happen. Well, Jonathan, you've been so great. Thank you for coming on the corporate couch today, and I'm very grateful that we've met. 
Well, Jeff, thanks for having me. It's a privilege being here and uh, you're doing good work. So thank you. I just love the conversation with Jonathan Jones. It was so fun to have the uh, first uh, face-to-face podcast episode uh, recorded at uh, Demdeco where Jonathan works. but yeah, just uh, we just met in the summer, had coffee, and just really uh, hit it off immediately. And you know, in the episode, there were so many references when he talked about his childhood, and it was so similar to mine in terms of you know go karts, building go karts, and evil can evil, mm-hmm. and you know playing army. So it was just uh, so great. Uh, but you know, and he's uh, there's so many things I can talk about. You know, I, I'm a believer in assessments and. Jonathan's a Clifton uh, Strengths Finder certified coach. Joe, you and I did a, a Strength Finders or yep. Clifton Strengths back at uh, when you and I worked together at Beringer Ingelheim. And then I did one uh, about four years later at Aratana. And it, it's all great to know your strengths. But what I loved about what he does at Demdeco is he brings the people together from the same team and has a a coaching session or sessions with them how do they utilize their strengths as a team the best as possible and i i just really thought that was leading edge and i i I really applauded him for that yeah the the whole thing about any kind of assessment tool like that the tool itself is only half the the story it's then the coaching that you get after that how do you apply it in your own life and how do you apply it with the rest of your team and everything is probably even more important than that. So the so any or any assessment tool is just the conversation starter, you know, and the 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 rest of it is the important stuff. And that's yeah. what that's what he does. Yeah, I mean, I think both at Beringer and when I was at Aratana, I mean, what would happen is they would put your you know, where you fell in boxes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can kind of see where everybody's strengths were by, you know, what box they, you know, uh, were in. But again, like, how does that help me like work better with you and your five? Yeah. Even if you get a scorecard for your entire team, there's a little bit of that. So what factor? So, you know, I, I score a so-and-so and and you score a so-and-so something else, but then so what, what do you do different? How do you, how do you treat that person different or how do you respond to that person differently? How do you teach or coach or mentor that person differently is, exactly. is vitally important. Yeah. What you take away from Jonathan's uh, conversation? What's his title there? I love this. He's the culture cultural conversational leader. leader. Culture conversational leader. <laughs> that title could not exist in any kind of standard corporate structure. Yeah, you know? publicly traded company. Right, in a publicly traded company. It could not exist. And matter of fact, I think they admitted that, that he got hired. We, he had some discussions with the owner and then he got hired. And then it was some weeks or some time later that they settled on that title. It's like he, he didn't even know exactly what it was he was getting hired into. Well, and we didn't even talk about like, uh, you know, he was 12 years in, in, in basically the church. In ministry, churches, right. And he goes from there to be the cultural conversational leader and has had the same title for 18 years. (laughs) I've never had the same title for 18 years uh, in any job I've ever had. But that points out a little bit about um, what happens in in 
ministry, when you're in what they call the vocational ministry, that is you're paid to be good, um, you're actually working a lot with people. There's, there's, there's not as much theology in it as you might think, uh, right. but that you're actually dependent, especially in larger churches like he was involved in, you're dependent on these sets of committees for people to do work and and you're a you're a coach you are a mentor you're all that stuff to them and so it was an interesting pivot but not an entirely not entirely uh, absurd one to go from vocational ministry into this uh, cultural conversation leader he is in the perfect spot for himself and I hope he gets to keep that same title that same job for another 18 years yeah it was just I just love the conversation with Jonathan. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. What leadership advice uh, do you have for our great listeners today, Joe? Uh, today, we're going to hear from that great philosopher and TV producer named Chuck Lorre, who one time said, I feed my dog every morning. Today, he bit me on the hand. I guess he didn't get the memo. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.